left-wing whistleblower is shedding light on the horrors inside America's gender clinics, where she claims children are being used and abused without any caution from doctors. Here to discuss this and all the insanity of our day is Seth Dillon, my friend and CEO of the Babylon Bee. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Seth, thanks so much for joining us again. How's it going? How's life at the Babylon Bee? Good. Fast paced. We're staying busy, but but things are good over here. Yeah. Are things busier now that you are on Twitter and you have more to tweet about? Not you, but Babylon Bee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, th- that whole story brought a lot of attention to us. So it actually made us a lot busier. We were busier than ever tweeting less. Um, yeah, that's um, true. The eight months that we were off Twitter and locked in Twitter jail. But since then, yeah, I mean, it's been kind of a, a media mayhem frenzy. Uh, a lot of speaking stuff has come up as a result of that. So I've been kind of traveling around the country doing things. Plus, you know, we're planning for a live event that we're doing next, uh, well, on the 24th. So, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot going a on. A lot going on. Um, how do you think that Twitter is going since Elon Musk took over? Because I felt like there was a sweet spot there for the first couple of weeks, and then things kind of got weird again. I feel like people started talking about... My reach is down. Why is my profile private reaching more people than it does when it's public? So I know he's only one guy. I'm not blaming him, but I just don't know. Is it even possible to like really turn Twitter around? I'm not sure. Well, the funny thing is you had everybody talking about how Twitter was going to be crashing in a matter of days or minutes even because he was firing so many people. That didn't happen. The app still works. It's still functioning really well. Yeah. Um, He's saying that it's improved, that its speed has actually improved. So I don't know. I mean, my experience on Twitter has has when he first took over, my engagement was skyrocketing. I don't know if you experienced that, but I was gaining followers like never before. Some of that had to do with our involvement in the Twitter story, I think. Right. But I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of people who've been restored. Obviously, tons of accounts have been restored. But as far as it, it goes with like is Twitter like a better service than it used to be? I mean, he's experimenting in the public eye and, and playing with things. He's rolling back a lot of the changes that he puts out there days after he puts them out. So there's a lot of like open experimentation happening that makes it feel like it's really chaotic and unstable. But I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's fun to have him just kind of playing in it like a sandbox and seeing what works and what doesn't. And he's obviously very receptive to feedback. So I think that's a healthy thing. Yeah, I think that's a healthy thing, too. At one point, he talked about like allowing us to have some more transparency tools to see kind of what's going on behind the scenes with all of our accounts. I don't think that's been rolled out for anyone yet, but I do think that that would be interesting. More transparency, the better. Um, Okay, let's talk about some Babylon B prophecies, some recent ones that have come true. It's been seven days um, per our calculation since the last fulfillment. So y'all are lagging a little bit, hopefully sometime. (laughs) <laughs> this week, y'all will be able to prophesy something that will be fulfilled. The last one that I see, prophecy number 87, that has been fulfilled by the Babylon Bee, which is pretty crazy. Uh, Babylon Bee said, Biden says he'll shoot down Chinese spy balloon as soon as, he done let, as he's done letting it spy. They said, the press said, U.S. military shoots down Chinese spy balloon over Atlantic Ocean. So that's basically what happened after several days of surveillance. Do you guys ever get surprised at this point? By how your satire is actually just predicting reality? 
No, I think probably the only thing that surprises me is when it happens almost immediately where, you know, we'll publish a joke and then within a matter of minutes or hours, there's a real story that comes out that's just like the joke. That's kind of surprising because you don't expect it to happen right away. But no, it's certainly not surprising that in general our jokes are coming true because, I mean, what kind of headlines do you see now that are really that shocking and jarring? We're so accustomed to seeing wild stuff happening. I think we've had some since then, though. I think it uh, wasn't the one uh, we had. We did a joke about how um, Satan distances himself from the performance at the Grammys. Yes. And then there but was an article believe... about how the Church of Satan put out a statement. Yes, but that was. Oh, no, you're you're right. You're right. Ugh. This is out of order. That was fulfilled on February 8th. The Chinese spy balloon was fulfilled on February 4th, but the satanic one was February 8th. So you guys said horrified Satan distances self from Grammys. They said Church of Satan says Sam Smith and Kim Petras. Kim Petras's unholy performance was more meh than satanic. I mean, it's pretty uncanny, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, it's really funny. Who thought the Church of Satan would actually weigh in on that? Yeah, I know. They've been weighing in on a lot of stuff recently. How do you, as someone who is in the media, you said that you're speaking at all these events, you're on Twitter and things like that. Like there's so much happening. There's a constant bombardment of stuff that we're supposed to carry, care about, whether it's potential UFOs, Chinese spy balloons that honestly, like when we hear another story, it's like, oh, nuclear war is imminent or something crazy is happening. There's been a crazy derailment in Ohio. It's like Chernobyl. We kind of just are like, okay. And then we move along a little bit because it's such a deluge of stuff happening. How do you wade through all of it and decide, okay, what really matters? What am I going to care about and comment on? Well, it's funny. You mentioned Twitter to start this whole conversation off. Twitter kind of drives that for me. That's how I keep my finger in the pulse of what's going on is what people in my circles and the, the people that I follow are engaging with and seeing come across their feeds and what's trending there. Um, I track that daily all the time. I'm probably on Twitter too much. I have a hard yeah. time putting Twitter away. It's, yeah. it's addictive. It really is. Mm -hmm. But it keeps me uh, it keeps me up to speed with what's going on. Are you are you asking more for like me personally or for like what the B decides to pay attention well, to? Well, how do you how do you know you personally or I guess the B? I mean, I think I can kind of understand how the B chooses their headlines and what they're going to comment on just based on like who pitches what and what's funny and what people are talking about. But I mean, you alone are also like your own figure that goes around and speaks and things like that. How yeah. do you how do you not get overwhelmed by everything there is to care about and talk about? I don't pay attention to everything. See, I think I would ask that question of you because you have to talk about this wide range of issues all the time this and you have an true. opinion about all these things and you you got to read up on them to be able to speak about them intelligently. Um, I don't have pressure to do that on me all the time because I'm not running a show where I'm having a discussion like this every single day. So, But you tweet I a lot. You tweet you lot. tweet about, I would say, like a lot of stories, probably more than I do. Maybe. I do, but you'll notice, though, there's there's common themes. Like I tweet a lot about gender affirming care yeah. and my opposition to what's happening with kids. Um, you know, there's certain topics that I weigh in on more than other topics because those are ones that for whatever reason, personally, I care about a lot, have more knowledge about. Uh, I'm not really weighing in on like UFOs and stuff like that because yeah. I don't really have like a strong opinion one way or another about whether or not uh, aliens exist. Uh, I'm not trying to get into debates about any of that. I am interested in seeing our government's response to these things or lack of response to some of these things. Yeah. Um, but mostly I'm just watching on the sidelines for some of that stuff. 
tolerate quick pause to tell you about my friends at Good Ranchers. This is American meat delivered right to your front door. If you subscribe, you get that box of meat every month. So you get chicken, you can get non-pre-marinated chicken or pre-marinated chicken. You can get all different cuts of steak. You can get ground beef. You can get seafood. You can get everything. I absolutely love Good Ranchers. Let's see, tonight I'm making, I actually started on dinner this morning because I had to brine my chicken in order to make these like healthy like chicken strip type things. And so I had to brine them and pickle juice this morning. So I got my good ranchers meat out that I had thawed in the refrigerator the night before and I prepared everything. But that's what I love. That's what I love about good ranchers is that I've always got meat in my freezer that I know is good. It's better than organic. It's from American farms and ranches, sustainably sourced, ethically raised, all of that. It's just a source of comfort and security for my family and also helps us eat healthy every single night. I could not be more thankful for Good Ranchers. I know you will be too. So go to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Allie. You get $30 off with my promo code, 100% satisfaction guarantee. GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Allie for that discount. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. I mean, I'm the, I'm the same. I look at the stuff that really matters to me. A lot of it is considered like culture war stuff, stuff about like human nature and things like that. I mean, I guess I'm kind of interested in the UFO conversation from like a theological perspective, but I also, I mean, I'm the same. I do have to talk about these things, but I don't talk about everything. It's not really a news show. I kind of pick and choose what I want to talk about depending on what I care about. People just ask me that question. Have you talked about that issue, the UFOs thing, and from a theological perspective, like where does that fit into the Christian worldview, whether or not there could be other life out there somewhere in the universe? Okay, so I'll link the past episode so people can go listen to it if they haven't already. But I did have, um, I did have these guys on. I don't know if you've heard of Blurry Creatures. Have you heard of that podcast? No. So basically, they go through these different myths that they don't really think are myths, like. Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, aliens, and they try to talk about it from like a biblical perspective. Now, they don't have the same theology necessarily as I do on everything, but they it is interesting to talk to them. So they go back to like Genesis 6 and the Nephilim. All right. I don't even know about all of this. And I would have to go back into the conversation and refresh myself. But basically, they believe that it is a possibility that there's kind of like another species of human-like people on Earth. I don't know if they would call them aliens or even extraterrestrial, but I think basically they might think it's theologically possible, whereas I'm just not really sure how that would fall into the whole redemption plan with Christ and heaven and hell and all of that, having creatures mm. that are not made in the image of God and are not human and are not animal. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's a strange thing. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, did, did did he make other creatures on other planets in his image as well? And did they fall or didn't they? Uh, you know, that's those are, I guess, interesting questions. The Bible doesn't speak to to all of those things, obviously. And I'm not sure how helpful it is to really worry about that too much. I don't know that that's that big of a deal. I've never been one of those people who looks at the vastness of the universe and thinks that that indicates that we're somehow insignificant or anything. I think it's just the glory yeah. of God mm-hmm. on display. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't spend I'm too much no. time troubling yeah. over those things. I'm going to, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that there, because if I am to take the creation account, literally, it does say that God created man and woman on earth. 
So, I mean, I don't think that there are parallel creation accounts. That's my conservative view of it. But there are other conservatives who think Mm. differently. Matt Walsh is very into the alien thing, which has been interesting to watch. But I did have someone on the show who talked about... Absence of evidence doesn't necessarily mean evidence of absence, right? Yes, that is true. Um, There's a guy that came on the show who talked about, like, why scientifically what they're shooting down these chinese spy balloons can't actually be aliens because of like the technology necessary to enter into like a different dimension or something so i'm not really worried about that (laughs) um but you did say you mentioned that you care we're not qualified to have that conversation oh yeah no we're not so we're just gonna leave it right there um okay so you mentioned that you care about something that i care about a lot and that's this transgender issue obviously it has to do with identity it has to do with bodies it has to do with children it has to do with like just our understanding of reality and truth and right and wrong as a whole and i'm sure you saw the story which i haven't been able to talk about yet which is the st louis transgender clinic whistleblower um this was on freepress.com i believe she um her name is jamie reed this whistleblower she worked at a gender clinic the washington university transgender center i mean this is she said she's to the left of bernie sanders she she's married to a quote-unquote trans man so as far as i can see she's very pro all of this and yet she basically says look we're mutilating kids bodies who are confused they don't actually even have gender dysphoria she plays into that this is a social contagion argument and this needs to be stopped because people don't care about this enough did you see this story i did yeah and it's really interesting to see what really lends her story credibility is that she's not just a run-of-the-mill conservative who was already objecting to these things uh, and came across something. You know, she's somebody who cares deeply about the trans cause and fighting for trans rights and things of that nature. So uh, I'm sure for adults, she's all about, you know, making your own decisions on these things with your doctor. Uh, But when it comes to kids, what she's seen with kids, it's really eye-opening stuff. I mean, the words that she used were really strong, too, talking about how abhorrent and morally bankrupt this stuff is and how there's experimentation happening on these kids. She's like, this is these are these are tests that are being done. The kids have no idea when talking about like how the potential side effects of some of these things could result in sterilization and and, and having conversations with kids about what infertility really means for them in, in lifelong terms. And having them make those decisions as if they can really take on board what the implications of that really are. You know, she's come to an awareness that this is this is messed up to be doing this, experimenting like this with kids is messed up. And I think it's good that there are people on that side who can see that. For the longest time, you've had people either denying that any of this was happening. Oh, there is no, you know, gender surgery happening for, for minors anywhere in the country. Uh, they start with that. And then all of a sudden they're talking about how it's a really good thing and you're you're harming kids if you don't push this stuff. I think you, we need reasonable voices on that side who say, look, I'm all about trans rights or whatever, but with the kids, this stuff has gone way, way, way too far. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we would disagree with her on the vast majority of things, but I'm like, okay, if we can link arms on this, I am willing to push forward with you. We tried to, the reason I haven't talked about it yet is because we tried to get her on the show. I knew it was going to be difficult, one, because she doesn't seem like she's a very public person, which I understand. I'm sure her safety is compromised at this point, but also because I'm sure she sees me as like some radical right winger. It might be hard to convince her maybe one day, but I'm I'm so thankful. She says at first the patient population was tipped toward what used to be the traditional instance of a child with gender dysphoria, a boy 
quite young, wanted to present as or wanted to be a girl. And then she says all of a sudden, and this is what Abigail Schreier talks about in her book, it became girls, girls 13 to 15 years old who never had gender dysphoria, who were very often autistic or ADHD or were having problems at school. And they would come in with all these issues. And rather than treating those issues or an eating disorder, they would just say, okay, here's testosterone. And she says, this is interesting to me. I feel like social media plays something in there. She said, frequently our patients declared, these girls who would come in, declared that they had other mental disorders, but they actually didn't. Like they would come in and say, oh yeah, I have Tourette's or I have autism or I have ADHD. And these doctors would be like, no, you don't. You don't actually even have these mental disorders. So there's something really deep here. There's something like identity level, psychologically, spiritually going on that these girls are craving. Yeah. And the fact that they're going, the first place that they go is into these clinics and these clinics, they have like a system set up where they try to rush you through the process. They, they have like templates for these letters that they'll, that they want you yes. to, to, to get signed so that you just go straight into the process of receiving medical treatment for this. And there's no real deep psychological evaluation going on. There's no therapy that's being attempted where they're trying to get to the bottom of what some of these issues are that are they're creating some problems. The assumption is just that, okay, there's some lack of comfort there, or some some issues with you socially. So let's just say you're a boy now and transition you and put you on, on that path. And then they start going down this path with all these negative side effects. And it was really crazy when she started looking at some of the side effects that were resulting from some of this and saying, look, we're harming these kids. Yeah. We're actually harming these kids. So, I mean, so awful. And she gets I really... wonder, you mentioned Go a minute ahead. ago, like her, yeah, her safety risk. I wonder what kind of backlash she's getting from this for, for telling this story. You know, it did take a lot of boldness. The, the, the idea that, uh, you know, Rachel Levine is brave or Caitlyn Jenner is brave when they're getting up there and just receiving all this applause and affirmation. The bravery is from someone like this who sees this harm that's being done. And they know that everybody that's on that side of the aisle is going to be coming after them and gunning for them if they say anything about it. Um, To go out there and do that, that took a lot of courage. It took a lot of boldness. And my hope when I see a story like this, it's like this is the first real big whistleblower from a from a gender clinic that we've seen. I, I hope that this will embolden others to come out, but I'm sure there's going to be attempts to intimidate and silence yeah. and harass people that even think about doing something like this. So I'm glad that she did. I hope she emboldens others. Yeah. I mean, 100% that she is probably receiving some kind of, I, I mean, some kind of threat, some kind of backlash, because I think she's the first whistleblower of her kind, especially like a left wing person who actually worked in a clinic saying this is what's going on. And I've actually gotten messages from people who work in this hospital, obviously, who want to remain anonymous. They're conservative. They agree with us. And they're like, it is even worse than what you are seeing here. So I think they're going to try to make an example of her. Who knows how we might not even ever know about it. But I guarantee that other people who even consider doing the same thing that she is, they are going to deal with major inhibitions, major obstacles in doing that. And I think that's part our job is like to share the arrows as much as possible. I mean, I don't know how to give encouragement to this woman, but as much as the rest of us can also stand up and say, yeah, I know that's unpopular, but me too. And she's right. 
the more that other whistleblowers stand up and say, yeah, that's happening here, she's right, the easier it will be. I mean, it's hard when it's one person, but then when the dominoes start to fall, then everyone's like, okay, I've got the shield of numbers on my side. So that's my hope. I hope that this is the first in many, many, many whistleblowers standing up and saying, yeah, this is happening everywhere. Yeah. And I just, you know, so often a lot of the questions that I get, especially just with what I do for a living, coming out and being vocal on issues like this, a lot of the questions that I get are around things like, you know, like, well, why do you care so much about this issue? Why do you care so much about the the pro-life cause or about the transgenderism in kids? And and the first, my first reaction to that is always, well, why don't you care? Yeah. How do you not care? Like when the well-being of children is at stake, when lives are at stake, and they're and they're going through such harm and suffering, they're starting out with emotional suffering and confusion that's being planted in their minds, and then we're treating it with this this permanently damaging uh, surgery and this drugging that we're doing. I mean, I don't see how anybody couldn't care about that. And the fact that there's going to be some backlash that you're going to face, you know, uh, possibly being ostracized from your community, you might be criticized harshly, you might have mean things said to you. But I mean, but you're you're doing that in order to stand up for these kids that need someone to voice concern for what's happening to them. So, I mean, people have to be willing to pay that price to stand up for kids. I'm glad Jamie was. Yeah, me too. And I'm glad that she was so graphic and how she detailed like what the girls are going through. And I don't have to read it all, but just talking about how their reproductive organs and their genitalia were damaged so significantly by going on testosterone. And it just made me think like, obviously, we know that a girl's body can't really turn into a man's body and vice versa. But I was thinking about just how every cell of the human body is gendered. Almost every cell of the human body is gendered. And how every cell will then reject a hormone that is not meant to interact with those cells at that level. And so, of course, this is going to hurt your reproduction. Of course, this is going to hurt your genitalia. Of course, this is going to hurt your voice. Of course, this is going to be bad for you. It's going to cause cancer. It's going to cause diabetes. It's going to cause dementia in some cases. And she's saying that Mm -hmm. these girls didn't know. They didn't know if they had sex, that they would be bleeding profusely. They didn't know what their genitalia would look like. They didn't think about the fact that maybe they'll change their mind one day and they won't be able to breastfeed or even have children. And she talks about specific stories where all of that happened. And so I'm with you. I'm like, how could we not care about this? How could we possibly look the other way? Yeah. Yeah. And the side effects are rarely mentioned. That's the thing. It's not just like it's not like they're sitting them down and saying, look, these are all the potential side effects that could happen to you. Uh, these are the more common ones. Uh, it's usually just framed in terms of, well, you're feeling this discomfort. This will alleviate that discomfort. And and then they leave it at that. And then you end up with these people that end up uh, wanting to detransition because of the terrible side effects that they're dealing with, or they come to regret the decision that they made. Um, and those stories are are not being heard enough. Those people are very bold. They're the ones who get attacked by this community more than anybody else. Uh, and so platforming those voices is very important, too. So I absolutely agree with you, though. You know, this domino thing where, you know, when you stand up as one voice, one person, you're an outlier, you're easy to squash, you're an, you're an easy target. There needs to be a whole army of people that stand up. I can't believe there aren't more of them. Eventually, there will be more of them. You know, on the whole in the whole pro-life debate, the pro-life cause, there is a massive movement around that. We need the same kind of movement with this stuff. Yeah, I agree. She She ended her 
article saying experiments are supposed to be carefully designed. Hypotheses are supposed to be tested ethically. The doctors I worked alongside at the transgender clinic or transgender center said frequently about the treatment of our patients. We are building the plane while we are flying it. No one mm. should be a passenger on that kind of aircraft. Wow. And so they're going with it because they're making a lot of money. Pharmaceutical companies are making a lot of money. They're creating lifelong patients for the, all kinds of ailments and consequences that come from this. And so the medical uh, industrial complex is making a lot of money. So I don't even know if it's fully about ideology for everyone as much as it is about profit and just corruption. And so, again, just applause for this woman for taking that on because that's not it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, and it's supported by the Biden administration, too. You know, mm -hmm. Rachel Levine supports this gender-affirming care. I always put that in scare quotes. I don't like using that of terminology, yeah. gender-affirming care. Um, we know that's a euphemism for terrible things. But Rachel Levine supports this. The Biden administration supports this stuff. I mean, and this is what's really interesting to me, though, from an ideological or political standpoint. You would think that politically you would want to you would want to adopt positions on issues like this that have really wide appeal. So that you so that you don't turn people away at the ballot box. But Democrats have really gone hard on this stuff and really seem to be supporting this stuff for kids. It's not just like they're saying, oh, once you're 18, this stuff is fine. They really are supporting and promoting the gender affirming care for minors that involves not just getting on these hormones or social transitioning, but surgical procedures like double mastectomies or hysterectomies and things of that nature. They are happening at these hospitals, as is documented, and they do support these things. And I think the more that we raise awareness about that, the more people will see that your vote really matters on this stuff. It really does. Yep. Politics matter because policy matters because people matter. And people who say, like, I see this a lot on the left or people who consider themselves unbiased but are really on the left, They'll point to people like me or others who say, oh, they just care about the culture wars because they want to stoke division or they want attention or they're grifting or things like that. I'm like, we're literally talking about human beings. We're talking about children. We're talking about mutilation. I care about I don't want to have to care about this because I wish it wasn't a reality. I would love to not talk about this. But unfortunately, if we care at all about anything, we have to in the same way that abolitionists cared about slaves. And I know people don't like that comparison, but it is a comparison. You're talking about objectifying yeah. people and mutilating their bodies. This is a very important point. You know, I don't benefit from talking about um, what's happening with these kids in this gender madness, the gender ideology madness. I personally don't benefit from it at all. In fact, it puts the rest of my business at risk right because what happens is they try to lump me in this bucket with terrorists they try to say that I'm a terrorist who's inciting violence against gender clinics or children's hospitals or whatever by simply noticing or talking about these things getting labeled as a terrorist is extremely damaging to your reputation uh, potentially to all of your business uh, ventures you could have your banking drop you you could have all of the uh, the, the platforms that you're that you're working with drop you um, so, you know, the, you, you draw a lot of attacks, a lot of vitriol and a lot of negativity to yourself. And I don't generate money off of the tweets right. that are mentioning these things or drawing attention to these things. All I draw is the negative stuff. And so this idea that somehow this is grifting for me or that it's beneficial to me, uh, you know, it's just it's just insane. In fact, it's it's a huge liability that I actually vocalize my opinions on these things. Yeah, uh, but I do it anyway. 
right, another one of my all-time favorite sponsors because it's one of my all-time favorite companies, period. And that's Carly Jean Los Angeles. It's a capsule clothing company. They make really simple and beautiful and versatile clothes for women that just make you feel good when you're wearing them. I'm actually wearing all Carly Jean right now. I've got my Carly Jean button down on, which I love. This is new. They just sent it to me. Super cute. You could wear it in a lot of different ways. I think it's linen. Love it. And then I've got my boot cut Carly Jean jeans. Guys, I don't wear any other jeans except for Carly Jean jeans because they're so comfortable. They're stretchy without stretching out during the day so they don't like get loose around your knees, which I absolutely hate that. But I like my jeans to have some give. That's why I love Carly Jean Los Angeles. This is a Christian-owned company. Carly Jean herself is amazing. I truly love their clothes, wear them all the time. Go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Use promo code AllieB for 20% off. You will thank me later. If you've never gotten any of their clothes, just go right now. CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Use promo code AllieB for 20% off. Always free shipping over $100. Allie B for 20% off, excluding final sale items at CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. It's so funny. I had someone say the other day, because I said something, you know, that I'm sure someone deemed controversial, but I said it because I believe it's true. And they were like, I mean, this is like a blue checkmark. Influential person was like, I look, I get that you want to sell ads. I get that you're just trying to grow an audience. I'm like, that is actually probably the opposite of what I'm doing and saying this. If anything, I am putting those things at risk by saying things that I know will offend people possibly in my audience. I think the whole grifting right. accusation towards people who just say something that you disagree with is a way to make themselves feel better without actually having to contend with your argument because you're right. You're doing the exact opposite. You are actually probably cutting portions of maybe your potential audience by saying things that are going to offend them. So people are just silly. Yeah, it's it definitely an ad hominem. It's a way of just saying, look, your your motives are bad. Yeah. Uh, you're not to be taken seriously. And so I don't have to respond to any of your points or argue for my position. Um, turn it back on them, make them defend the practice of drugging and mutilating, sterilizing, castrating children. Yeah. Um, that's really what's at stake in the conversation. Um, you know, what is, what is their reason for defending that? What do they stand to gain by defending that? Yeah. It's gotten to the point to where these, um, that these scientists are actually saying, this is according to the telegraph that we should so embrace this movement that is hurting the bodies of children and adults that we should stop using the words female or male altogether, but rather we should be using sperm producing or egg producing or XY slash XX individual to avoid, quote, mm -hmm. emphasizing heteronormative views. So this is coming to a hospital near you. And this isn't just like a funny language change. I mean, this is going to have a consequence on our understanding of reality. That's the point, right? That's why we call them birthing persons instead of uh, instead of mothers or just pregnant women. Uh, the whole point is to try to erase these lines that are drawn in the sand by reality itself and try to make everything ambiguous in a gray area. It's 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 a deliberate strategy. You know, you control the words to be able to control people's perceptions of reality and break down their understanding of what what actually is objectively true and real. Um, and that's why the word game is so important. They recognize that so much. We battle with it so much. You know, the whole yeah. conversation about abortion being health care, for example, calling mm -hmm. it health care over and over and over again, even though it's a procedure that results in the death of a person. 
I mean, this is they they understand that words matter and that they can really really leverage uh, uh, the manipulation of what words mean uh, in order to further their ends. So getting past like breaking through all of that and insisting on what reality actually is is extremely important in those dialogues. Yeah, you mentioned the Biden administration is. In support of this, you'll probably remember this story. It was a couple months ago now, but now it's back in the news. Um, According to Fox, non-binary former Biden official Sam Britton accused of serial luggage theft released without bail. So if people don't remember this guy, he was a part of the Department of Energy, who was a real weirdo. Okay, so he wasn't just someone who was like, whatever, I'm quiet about my identity. He was also like some BDSM instructor, weird stuff. I don't even want to get into some of the pictures that were on his Instagram that were circulating on Twitter, okay? Please don't. Please Uh, don't show them. No, I would never. A real creep and a weirdo, okay? How he presented himself and his sexual proclivities. Well... Would, in, in, in unsurprising news, he apparently is also a klepto and he would go to these different um, airports and he would take what looked like female luggage. So like Vera Bradley luggage that he knew would be filled with women's clothing. He would take them and then he would go to his hotel and I guess wear them. And then he was caught doing this not once, but twice. This was once in Minnesota, once in Nevada. So he faces up to 10 years in prison, but he was just released without bail. So I guess these are the kinds of absolute weirdos that are filling the Biden administration and pushing them to embrace the castration of young boys. I'm interested. Have you, have you read the story? Like, what is the reason he has released that? But like, did someone not choose to prosecute him? Like, what, what what's going on there? Oh, let's see. Britain left the DOE soon after the alleged thefts came to light. A reason for his departure was never made public, but the agency had faced pressure from Republican lawmakers over his employment status and security clearance. They didn't say anything about it. So, no, this this Fox report doesn't actually say why he was released without bail. It just says that he was charged, but um, it says a judge ordered him not to have any contact with any of the victims. Um, He was slated to appear in court December 19th, but the date was changed at the request of his lawyer. So it looks like he's just able to kind of evade the consequences for this a little bit, maybe because he's has he has some connections or some power. I guess I feel like I'd be going away for a long time if I was stealing women's luggage. uh, Yeah, probably so. (laughs) You might lose your job, too. Yeah, but that I mean, the story with someone like that just gets that much crazier. I mean, obviously, this is somebody that's got mental issues. They yeah. really have mental issues. I mean, you know, the, the, the kink and fetish stuff, whatever, you know, like people, it, it, these things happen in people's private lives. This guy made it very public. It was right. all very out there and it was kind of a show and it was, it was just, it was almost like his resume for how he was getting ahead in life. Yeah. And I just think it's such a sad commentary on our culture today that, that that is, that, that kind of thing gives you some kind of a leg up or advantage in jockeying for position in, in high ranking government positions and opportunities. It's just, it's absolutely wild to me. And it's yeah. absolutely wild that, that then on the back of that, you can engage in actual, this is felony theft. I'm sure these things were worth a decent amount of money, the, the, not just the luggage, but the, but the, the stuff that was inside the luggage and walking with no consequence. That's just insane to me. Yeah. And it's just kind of a fetish for him. It's not an identity. But I think part of this whole movement is making a fetish an identity, which is really scary. Well, we talked about how this kind of subverts our understanding of reality. And one of the scary things is that sometimes you can't actually tell if someone is transgender. You can't tell the difference between a man and a woman. I think that also is very, I mean, it's consequential. It's scary. And this is 
one of those cases, I'll, I'll play you this video. It's really hard for me to tell who in this video is actually um, transgender, what's really going on. So here's that. My name is Amber Mum. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, I'm a member of the St. Cloud Hive of the Parents and Allies of Trans Youth. I am also a proud gender, transgender woman, but more importantly, I am the mother of two wonderful transgender and gender expansive children. That is the mother of two gender expansive children who I'm sure came to that conclusion completely naturally because their dainty mother had absolutely nothing to do with it, right? I think I retweeted you when you posted this and I was like, yeah, I'm sure this is just a coincidence that this individual ended up with transgender children. And I'm kind of like I'm smiling or smirking as I'm saying this, but it's like I'm checking myself because it's not funny. It's not funny that you have someone like this who's raising children to be confused about who they are and then affirming mm -hmm. them in their confusion so that they end up damaging themselves for life. There's nothing funny about that. And, and the, the, the picture itself of the person up there, this, this you know, massive man saying I have she, her pronouns and I'm a woman. I mean, that, that, that on the surface is itself funny. But, but what's going on in the home there is not funny at all. Yeah, I think we talked about this last time, but... I was thinking about this just to kind of bring this all full circle with the difficulty that it is to like be in comedy and satire right now with how absurd reality is. But like we're being told to look at that person, call them a woman. So we are not only denying reality, what we see with our own eyes, what we know, not just about science. We don't have to know that person's chromosomes to know that that's a man. So we're told to deny reality, our basic observations, but we're also being told to deny comedy. Like how... How long has the trope existed of a fat man in a dress? Like that's that's been funny for a very long time, probably for thousands of years. As long as comedy has existed, like a man dressing up as a woman has been funny. A fat man dressing up as yeah. a woman has been funny. Mrs. Doubtfire was funny. But literally, probably all of human history, this has been funny because we've all known that it's absurd and we've all been able to laugh at it. Even white chicks was funny because men can't look like women. Women can kind of make themselves mm -hmm. look more masculine and look like men. But men, no matter how handsome you are as a man, you look like a really ugly woman. And we were all able to <laughs> laugh at that. That's a funny comedic trope. But now we're not only told to deny reality, but we have to deny comedy and say, oh, no, that's not funny at all. And that, I think, is a big cultural sacrifice that we're making in all of this, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea that you shouldn't be able to laugh at it because it's hurtful, because there's someone who's the the butt of the joke or whatever. You know, what's funny about I think some of the, the, the examples that are the most funny are when you still have the male characteristics that are retained while they're wearing the dress, you know, like you have a man in a dress, but he's got hairy legs and facial hair or whatever. And a lot of the a lot of the trans people these days are retaining a lot of their male characteristics while dressing as women. You'll see them wearing they'll have a beard, they'll have facial hair, but they'll put on makeup. And it's like and they're trying to just give these like confusing mixed signals like I'm not in either camp. I'm in both or something like that. And it is it is it is silly and it is funny and there is a comic element to it. And you should be able to laugh about it. I just I think it's really strange. You know, the, the point that I like to, to make about this, this idea that the reason they say that you shouldn't be able to joke about these things, you can't laugh about them is because this is a marginalized community and marginalized communities should always be off limits for comedy. And, well, you know, I, I do think that there's something to be said about like you sh it's not right to kick someone when they're down and, and being and, and making jokes at someone's expense just to be mean and cruel 
is kind of cruel, you know, like telling like mocking and scorning a fat person for being fat and overweight mm-hmm. in a really mean, bullying, harsh way is just nasty. There's no real comedic value to doing that necessarily. Yeah. So I get that. But this idea that this is a marginalized community, I mean, if you think of what the word marginalized means, to be marginalized is to be a social outcast. To be marginalized is to have no power or influence. To be marginalized is to be forgotten. That is not what this community represents. This community has all the power, all the influence. They're anything but forgotten. If anything, this messaging is just shoved into our face from every direction, from the top down. And so to try to characterize this group as a marginalized community that should be off limits, the point that I make is this is the power structure. These are the powers that be telling us Mm -hmm. what we should think, what we should feel, what we can say. This is the stuff that comedians are supposed to make fun of. It's our job to make fun of that stuff. And that is punching up. That's punching up at the powers that be. So it's really the one thing that they should be defending as the comedian's right to make fun of, but it's the one thing they're saying we're not allowed to make fun of. It's absolutely insane. All right, last sponsor for the day, and that is Public Square. It is spelled public as Q. You pronounce it Public Square. This is an amazing app that allows you to find businesses, services in your area that align with your values. So you don't have to go to that communist coffee shop around the corner that was pushing for mask and vaccine mandates. You can actually get your coffee from a freedom-loving business close to you or any business or service that you're looking for. Or if you're a business owner, you're trying to get more visibility and you have uh, values that freedom-loving people would like to align with, then you can list your business on Public Square. All you have to do is download the Public Square app. You can go to publicsq.com, download the app, you create an account, begin your search, list your business for free so your local community can find you. It's a really good deal. We can stop giving money to so many of the companies that absolutely hate us and work against our values by using Public Square. So go to publicsq.com, download the app today. That's publicsq.com. And you're not even really making fun of the individual because you could say that that person is a man and a great man and a person made in the image of God. You're making fun of the idea. You're making fun of the concept. You're making fun of how absurd it is that we have to deny all of this and to pretend something that's real that we know isn't. And so I think you're right. It is punching up. Like these are the people that get you kicked off Twitter. These are the people that make it harder for you to be employed. These are the people that are policing your speech. Like the people that you can't make fun of are actually the people with all of the power and the people that you should be making fun of, Um, which is why y'all do what you do. They, they have the power to silence you. They have the power to silence you for just simply joking about them. Ali, I don't have that power. You can say whatever you want about me. You can trash me all you want. Like You can be really mean and harsh, and I have no power to do anything about it. I lack that power. I, I have to just take it. Um, so, yeah. you know, to, that's to true, because I do bully you, you on power, Twitter. Anything but I do bully you on Twitter, yeah. and I haven't been kicked off yet, so that's true. I I could text Elon about that, but I won't. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for allowing us to laugh through the absurdity. I do think, like, I know that Babylon B tells jokes, but it's more than jokes. Gosh, when everything is so serious and so morose and everything seems upside down, it is nice to have such a powerful comedic entity on our side telling the truth in a way that I think is super effective. Not everyone likes it. I I got my invitation rescinded from a church conference because of my DNC ad, which was satirical. So not everyone likes it, but I think it's an important tool. So thank you for keeping at it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think there's an importance. Uh, 
I think comedy has a role to play in communicating the truth. And I think that one of the most important things that we need to keep our sights on is, you know, in this post-truth safe space culture where everything is about you, you know, like everything is about your feelings and how mm-hmm. important your feelings are and how and you have this um, this right to never be offended or anything like that. That is such an unhealthy spiritual place to be in. I think the much healthier place to be in is to be able to say, look, I have pride, personal pride. And sometimes my pride is pricked when someone like makes a joke at my expense. But that's okay. Like I shouldn't think so highly of myself. We need to think we need to think of ourselves less, not in the sense that like we think less of ourselves, but we just think of ourselves less. We don't put ourselves up on this pedestal where uh, no one should be able to touch us or criticize us or anything. We're all imperfect. We're all sinful. We all make mistakes. We're all hypocrites. And we should all be willing to laugh at ourselves. That's a healthy thing. And so when comedy is willing to actually make jokes that do sometimes make you squirm and make you a little bit uncomfortable, it's not necessarily mean and cruel. Sometimes it's good for you. Yeah. I agree. I think it is really healthy. And that's an important point you made about the spiritual part of it, too. Well, Seth, thanks so much. I hope you all have an amazing event, live event for the Babylon Bee. Um, For the people who are listening to this who are going to be there, what can they expect? Are they going to have the time of their lives? (laughs) I don't know about that. Um, It is going to be fun. I don't want to give away too much, but yeah, we're going to have some live sketch comedy on the stage. Um, you're going to see some videos that we've never released before. We're going to talk about some of our future plans. Mostly it's just going to be time for us to get to spend FaceTime with our fans. We've never done that before where we have the whole crew together in one place. So I, I think it'll be a fun night. Maybe the time of your life if you're a diehard Babylon B fan, but who knows? Maybe uh, even if you're not. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Seth. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you, Allie.